This is episode number 245 with seasoned executive Luis Blanco. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show because today we have a seasoned executive, a vice president of product compliance and strategy at Ellie May, Luis Blanco, joining us for the show. So I got off the phone with Luis just a few hours earlier and it was an amazing podcast. It was a blast. So what you will hear in this podcast is Luis will actually walk us through his whole career on how it unraveled and wait for it. Every single time his, uh, he went to a new step in his career, you will learn a valuable lesson, a valuable takeaway. So this is a career of over 20 years packed into a one hour podcast where you can get insights at whatever level you are, whether you're a analyst looking to build a career and eventually become an executive one day, or whether you're already an executive and looking to better manage your analysts and fill in those gaps in data science knowledge and leadership that you might have right now. In addition to all of that, we talk about very interesting topics such as planning your skills rather than jobs for your career development fact-based decision-making cultures and how to nurture, how to create and nurture them, cross-departmental work and sharing models between different departments such as risk management and marketing, and much, much more. So lots and lots of valuable insights you will get from this podcast. I can't wait to get us started. So without further ado, I bring to you seasoned executive Luis Blanco. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I've got a super exciting guest joining us from San Diego, Luis Blanco. Luis, welcome to the show. How are you going today? Thank you, Carol. Very excited to be here uh, and being able to, you know, chat uh, about all of cool things, data science, and um, uh, hopefully being able to give something useful to all of our community out there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you mentioned it's pretty cold in San Diego today. What's happening there? Um, you know what? I think that it's uh, probably climate change. Mm. Um, uh, but no, we uh, we have a very very uh, wet um, uh, winter here, uh, and that is uh, making temperatures drop. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we didn't even make it to sixty degrees Fahrenheit uh, today, which I think it's like fourteen degrees Celsius for the rest of the world. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I have a friend that is visiting and uh, he's a little bit disappointed that his San Diego vacation included, you know, a full jacket and <laughs> shoes. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really funny when we like we were chatting just now before the podcast and uh, we had video like when I saw you in those two or three jackets that you're wearing, I thought you were in Alaska or something like that. <laughs> well, that is that. And, and um, the fact that I've been sick for the last couple of weeks. So I apologize uh, in advance for 
uh, all of the listeners that I may be coughing a little bit here and there. I'll try to minimize it, but you know, no what worries. do you do? No worries. Thank you so much for taking the time and powering through it. So, uh, Luis, um, we met at Data Science Go, particularly at Data Science Go X. For those of our listeners who don't know, this is a concurrent event. So we have Data Science Go, which is a conference for data scientists. Uh, this year is running in September 2729 in uh, San Diego. Disco X is a concurrent one day event specifically for executives where they can get together and have a forum about talking about data science leadership and strategy. Uh, tell us just quickly, how did you find Disco X and what kind of value did you get out of it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I was uh, uh, honored to be part of the uh, uh, Disco X uh, team. And you know, kudos to uh, to all of the uh, uh, folks that put together the uh, the conference was one of the best that I've attended in a very very long time. Um, and uh, the smaller setting was uh, a very very useful. I mean, you're, what I can tell you, what I get the most out of it uh, was uh, relationships that uh, that you can build in that smaller uh, setting. Um, the conversations uh, that we had, you know, were deeper. Than you could in almost any other uh, any other forum. Um, it was uh, you, know, you guys did a really good job Thank on you. being really flexible in in, uh, in 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 the term in the way that we manage time. So some of these conversations you may remember that you, we went on for you know a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know both the relationships that I was able to uh, build as part of that, uh, as well as. Uh, those in-depth, very rich conversations uh, certainly uh, set um, Diaz Go X apart. That's awesome. And it's interesting that you mentioned flexible right away. I thought of how during the executive dinner, we were all switching seats. How did you find that exercise? I think it was um, it, it was very good uh, uh, proposal. Um, this way, you know, you, you had the chance to talk to, uh, to other folks. Um, and you know, I think that 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 is a, a, a principle that um, you guys should completely leverage in the future. Um, mixing mixing things up, uh, to you know, I don't want to call it force, mm-hmm. but in a way uh, to push uh, a lot of folks um, out of our comfort zone. Particularly in our community, let's face it. You know, we have a large percentage of folks that tend to be more introvert than extrovert, mm-hmm. um, and unless. Uh, uh, put in this type of context, maybe, you know, we tend to uh, uh, not be as open. So I think that worked out uh, very, very well. I would say, you know, go go a little further, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, spice things up a little bit more. Thank you. Thank you. So amazing feedback. And for all you executives and directors, business owners listening out there, check out DSGO X happening this year in September. Um, Luis, let's, uh, like, I don't even know where to start with uh, your career. You have such a diverse background. You spent uh, over 14 years at Amex. You're, uh, now you've moved on to very interesting uh, senior executive roles. You are also involved in data science. There's so many interesting things to talk about. Maybe to get us started, can you give us a quick overview, a brief background of who, who is Luis Blanco and uh, where has your career taken you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Carol. Um, so, uh, like you say, you know, careers. Uh, I when I was uh, in the earlier part um, of mine, I thought of it as a linear uh, function. You know, taking you from point A to point Z uh, via B, C, D, E, and F. 
Um, but then, you know, the further that he came along, I realized that uh, there is nothing further from the truth. Um, I, uh, I still plan uh, um, very methodically. Um, but instead of thinking of, of uh, you know, next step in terms of jobs, I think more in terms of skills that I need to continue to develop. Uh, and then, you know, try to match uh, opportunities to uh, to that skill and that path. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it, I I know that I haven't planned for it. I may have missed critical opportunities just because I wasn't thinking of them. But, um, you know, I started my, my career with American Express uh, many, many years ago while I was attending college. Uh, in Mexico City. My undergrad is in business management and finance. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to get a head start in my, uh, in my professional career. Um, so I decided to get a full-time job while I was attending full-time college. Uh, that was uh, interesting. <laughs> it was very busy, um, but, but it paid off. Um, and I started working in the uh, uh, credit operations function uh, within a couple of years, I get promoted a couple of times. And uh, before I graduated, I was already leading a team of um, uh, seven people locally. And then I had direct reports uh, throughout the rest of, uh, of Latin America. Um, and wow. uh, before you even graduated, the, before I even graduated. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, the, the, the company was uh, uh, expanding. They were growing uh, and the operation in Mexico. Uh, was also growing as uh, both uh, as Mexican market economy grew, uh, but also as a regional hub. So I was able to, uh, um, you know, make the most of that opportunity. Um, and you know, I graduated in June of, of 2001. And, and shortly after I graduated, I uh, had the opportunity of being uh, uh, considered for a manager job in Amexes International Risk Management Group in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. uh, that used to be the, we called it the uh, International Risk Management Headquarters because um, that, that's where we had all of the talent that helped manage credit and fraud risk for American Express. Mm -hmm. um, and after a very thorough and very competitive uh, process, you know, I was lucky to, uh, to get selected. And uh, that's when I moved to the United States uh, and started working with that International Risk Management team. Mm -hmm. and, and it was fascinating. Uh, you know, this was my first true uh, um, global uh, job. You know, I, I led uh, uh, projects uh, as well as uh, what we call, you know, credit policy uh, for um, late part of the uh, of the credit card lifecycle mm -hmm. um, throughout Latin America. And then I had a chance to also interact with uh, Japan, Asia Pacific and Australia. It, it is through those gigs that I had the chance to visit Sydney that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that was my first uh, uh, purview, very, very small purview, but about the value of, uh, of data science. I mean, I know that that is, you know, 17 years ago, mm -hmm. um, but credit risk uh, is one of the areas that um, used uh, advanced uh, uh, statistics and, and uh, what we now call the entire data, say, uh, data science uh, uh, lifecycle um, in making those credit decisions, the, the, the basic credit decision. Who do you lend and how much do you lend them for? Mm -hmm. um, and me coming from uh, an operational function, um, you know, for me, it was all about project management efficiencies and so on and so forth. Uh, and this was the first time that I saw just incredible amount of value uh, that was generated by, uh, by doing things differently.
Mm-hmm. Um, from you know, my, my one of my uh, uh, first uh, bigger projects was to implement uh, business rules um, that will determine what type of accounts do we send to a particular type of vendor. Um, so this is one step before predictive models, um, but it, it already changed dramatically the way that we're doing things international. And before I left that job, we were implementing our first predictive model. Hmm. Uh, so you were and, like, you were doing data science as it started, you know, uh, becoming a thing as it was like becoming born, you were already dabbling in it. So you're, you've been there from the very start. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, for the international markets, it, that was that. Uh, and it wasn't until I moved to American Express's headquarters in New York City uh, a few years later that now I saw what was the leading edge of data science in the uh, uh, in the mid-thousands. I moved uh, to New York in 2004. May, um, Luis, and- Luis, may I just interrupt quickly? If anybody's at their computer right now, open up Luis's LinkedIn. It's so fun to follow along because you have this all written out in your LinkedIn, all these roles very carefully articulated. So I'm just like watching your LinkedIn as you speak and following along. It's it's like I'm I'm part of a movie with a timeline. It's really cool. Sorry to <laughs> Thank interrupt. You. No, no worries. Yeah, please uh, uh, um, uh, go ahead. So, um, and there is uh, in the US risk uh, um, management team. Um, now, you know, I saw what was the state of the art in, in data science. Uh, while we were implementing our first predictive model in international, over there, they were in the third uh, uh, generation of predictive mm-hmm. models. Wow. I had I had the chance to work with one of the most brilliant uh, uh, statisticians, econometricians, uh, what now we will call you know data scientists mm. um, uh, in in the world. I mean, they were breaking ground with. I remember one of the uh, of the models that I uh, that I implemented was the first use of the equivalent of decision trees today. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, you know, on on uh, older technology. Uh, part of our challenges was just to be able to run them through our um, uh, our uh, you know dated um, servers, mm-hmm. non-cloud enabled. Any of those things existed back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, you know, one of our projects uh, it was just incredible. By just enhancing the model, uh, improving the predictive power, we were able to uh, uh, put about. Five million dollars to the PNL of that year, wow. um, which was, you know, a relatively small effort, um, but it yielded, you know, incredibly incredible efficiencies down the road. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, I was uh, uh, doing that happily living in New York, uh, and my previous leader reached out to me, and uh, they were growing the uh, risk management functions in the key markets for American Express and International. Um, and, uh, and he said that if, uh, they, they, Mexico is a, a key strategic market for Amex. And he asked me if I was, um, uh, okay to move back home. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, on a, you know, temporary, uh, assignment. So, um, we did just that. And, uh, my, my wife, that was the year that we got married. So, um, it was uh, a lot of stuff happening at the same time, but, uh, that was, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I didn't know that the uh, financial crisis was uh, was coming, and uh, and it hit the Mexican economy, per, you know, particularly hard, um, because of the economic dependency in the U.S. as well as the financial system was. Uh, I back in the day, I think that ninety percent of all the assets were uh, um, owned by banks, uh, um, 
with foreign uh, mm-hmm. um, headquarters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, HSBC, Citibank, uh, Royal Bank of Canada, all of them are uh, uh, big, big investors in, in Mexican banking system. So when the liquidity crush happened, they took the liquidity out of the uh, Mexican market to put it back into their home countries. Uh, mm-hmm. And that just exacerbated the crisis. Mm-hmm. So from a um, uh, uh, portfolio management perspective, and particularly, you know, when it comes down to data science, we needed to come up with uh, all the ways that we could turn around the profitability of a $1 billion credit card business mm-hmm. and personal loans. Uh, and it, we also, man, uh, needed to integrate um, new uh, players. Like, for example, the um, main credit bureau in Mexico mm-hmm. was going through a big transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that meant that we needed to uh, update our um, data intake uh, mechanism uh, and then fully integrated with all of our uh, different systems so that we could continue to run our business, all of our predictive models and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. Um, so that was, uh, uh, you know, a very, very exciting uh, time. It was, you know, stressful time because <laughs> um, uh, we just, you know, saw our, uh, 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 it's called the um, um, loan provision or yeah. uh, that amount that banks have to set aside for uh, losses in the future. Uh, we saw that going up as the rest of the industry. Uh, but, you know, we, we needed to make sure that, that we had a, mm. uh, a good plan. So, so it, I did that for... Inter- sorry, interesting there is that even though you were the director of risk management, right, doesn't, the, doesn't, your title doesn't say data anywhere in there. And like before, you know, 20 years ago, director of risk management wouldn't be thinking about how do we intake data? How do we make sure that, you know, like we are aligned in terms of the fields that we have, the fields that our suppliers provide and that, you know, like our models are working well. Even though you're the director of risk management, your role involves a lot to do with data. Is that about right? That is absolutely right, uh, um, Carol. Um, a lot of what my team and I did was precisely to, A, ensure that um, what we now would call our data infrastructure and the architecture um, was sound mm-hmm. um, and, and that we needed to develop some, uh, some new pieces. Uh, and of course, you know, we work with our uh, uh, technology uh, partners. We didn't own, you know, the, uh, uh, the servers and the code, uh, but we did own uh, the strategy. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of it, it was ensuring that that worked. And then after the fact, once you uh, built all the, all, the, um, all the pipeline, now it is on, on the decisions being made on that data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, our decisions were uh, who, do we, who do we lend, how much do we lend after that fact. Um, you know, that relationship continues. Uh, how do we continue managing that credit risk? And another part that was uh, fascinating about that job is that I worked very closely with marketing in managing the portfolio. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we did back then uh, was, you know, marketing had their own predictive models mm-hmm. and they were looking at uh, revenue growth as the objective function. Uh, we helped them to enhance their models to now uh, uh, look at the whole profitability cycle, not just mm. revenue, but mm. also look at profitability. And it, and it did a, a, a big, big difference. I mean, when financial crises are tough because it seems that the world is coming to an end, but the truth of the matter is that it, it doesn't, right? Uh, across our um, you know, hundreds of thousands, uh, as a matter of fact, you, we had uh, millions of customers in Mexico. Uh, there were a segment that were risky and we needed to manage them prudently. But there were segments of our portfolio that it was worth continuing investing, actually investing more so that we can gain more of, uh, of their share of wallet uh, and their loyalty. 
So that that was a, a very cool part about the job. And um, I, sorry if I may add here, I really like that. You know, like it, it might seem as a um, like a, not a, not uh, something that stands out in this podcast, but I think this is a very important point that you mentioned that in your risk uh, department, where you were the director of risk management, you were creating models to make sure that you give the right. Uh, people the right loans, the right interest rates, and you you manage the risk of the company. In the marketing department, on the other hand, they have their own models where they segment their customers to send them the right offers. They go out and maybe get geodemographic data and reach out to new customers and so on. And the KPIs might be different. Their KPI might be okay. Let's let's get as many customers as possible, potential leads, or let's get as many potential uh, as much revenue as possible, predicted revenue. But Right. Then let's say they bring those customers in, they market to them, they make uh, um, the American Express in this case or whatever other company, they make the brand, they increase the brand awareness and the customers come to you. But then you still apply your models to decide who you will service and who you will not. So it's a great example of where in large organizations, departments should be working together. There should be some cross-departmental work around data science so that the models that they're using and the models that you're using are not contradicting each other they're actually working in unison together to bring benefit as you said in the form of profitability to the company overall yep i completely agree with you and one of the learnings was precisely that uh and um you know after i i left amex uh there were a lot of efforts being done in uh trying to identify this type of analytical work groups across the company uh and uh, and put it and put them maybe not formally you know from our reporting perspective but create a lot of um, of uh, relationships so that people can share their knowledge and and there was certainly you know an effort to uh, uh, share infrastructure um, across multiple uh, analytical teams mm -hmm. yeah that's that's fantastic I think it's a very important point thank you for bringing that up so yeah, and then you know uh, uh, as I was doing uh, all of that the crisis had uh, uh, succeeded. Um, and, you know, we've, I've mentioned how, you know, from a career planning perspective, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for the next job, but, mm -hmm. but, uh, but, uh, but skills. Mm -hmm. And, um, and as a director at Amex, I led a, a small group of highly, highly, uh, uh trained, uh, uh, professionals and everything else we did throughout the matrix. Uh, I've realized that leading a large organization when you have, you know, you don't have the luxury of seeing the, your entire team every single day and you cannot leverage uh, just, you know, uh, uh, that type of, of friendly relationship to make things happen, um, that that was something that I would need to learn how to do. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was very lucky that uh, there was an opening to lead the uh, risk operations team in continental Europe uh, based out of Madrid in, in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, so this was uh, uh, moving uh, after eight years in risk management, uh, really tailoring a lot of my analytical skills. Uh, and this was more to, to uh, uh, continue polishing my leadership skills. So my wife uh, uh, and I and our uh, Cocker Spaniel decided to uh, relocate to, uh, to Spain on a temporary basis, um, to then lead that, uh, uh, that organization. It's about 250 people. Wow. Um, uh, I had a seven, uh, well, it was at some point, uh, seven direct reports ended up being five managers uh, uh, and then supervisors that my uh, uh, consumer facing uh, people uh, reported to uh, across multiple markets in in Europe, and and that was uh, a fascinating experience of having to you know understand the cultural differences uh, of 
you know, our consumers, uh, for them, you know, how they viewed the American Express brand was very different. Um, and even though, you know, we stand for the same set of corporate values, uh, their perception of those were different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, you know, it's a very diverse uh, uh, group of individuals that I had responsibility for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a, a wonderful leadership experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, uh, also the chance to go back to school and get my uh, my MBA mm-hmm. at the IE Business Schools, uh, one of the uh, uh, top 10 business schools in the world, which was that on its own an incredible experience. I uh, was able to, to meet some fantastic folks. Um, and um, <coughs> I apologize. Um, and, uh, you know, I did that for, uh, you know, two and a half years. Uh, this was a lot of, uh, uh, blocking and tackling, not a lot of, of, uh, of data science per se, but the difference, I mean, I, it's funny how I ended up being there and, um, and, and, and I didn't have enough data to make the decisions that I needed to lead a large organization. Uh, our reporting capabilities were, uh, uh you know, basic. Um, and, uh, it, it's funny how I. I couldn't get a straight answer, data-based, fact-based on what is it what we do? You know, we have 250 people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our scorecard is, is, is very high level. What is it what we do? Mm-hmm. So um, I was able to hire uh, uh, a, uh, a data scientist. He was uh, an actuary by trade um, and uh, helped me, you know, uh, start uh, identifying uh, the places that we could get the data uh, so that we can answer that very, very simple question. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantastic. So, and, like, you you move into this role managing 250 people. You see that you you don't have the data transcripts, and your first move is hire a data scientist. Let's sort this out because I think it is a great saying. You cannot manage what you cannot what you don't measure, right? So you need exactly. to be measuring. That's a really cool cool approach. Yep, uh, I totally agree with you, Carol. And, and it was precisely uh, uh, it, it was not only because of my passion of my passion for data science. I mean that that is true. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it was, you know, to be able to do my job more effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, for our aspiring data scientists or our data scientists that, that, you know, they are at this point in their career that they're like, how do I get to the next step? How do I get more responsibility? The, the, the most important thing is help people solve problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's easy to get lost in the uh, technicalities of data, uh, regardless of where you are, if you're, you know, building the pipelines or if you're on the, on the analysis side of data science, um, it's sometimes easy to, uh, don't see the forest by looking at the trees. Uh, and in this case, you know, my data scientist was, uh, critical in helping me answer that question. What the hell do we do mm-hmm. <laughs> across all of these different functions? But most importantly, it gave me the foundation of our strategy for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was key. Um, and, you know, uh, um, fast forward a few years and, uh, you know, for the first time in, in my entire career, uh, you know, as, as I graduated from my MBA, I realized that, uh, you know, while I'm very grateful for the 14 years at Amex and, you know, uh, all of my leadership team and my team members, um, I've also realized that my thinking was constrained. You know, I've only worked for one company. I've only known one way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and for the first time, you know, I start talking to other, uh, uh, companies, other, you know, recruiters, uh, and discover has this, uh, very interesting, uh, role based out of their operation center in, in Salt Lake, uh, to lead an organization of 500 people in their customer service, uh, organization. Um, but the cool thing was that, uh, it also had, uh, revenue generation responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, that really caught my eye. Uh, it's still, you know, uh, I still had a chance to lead a large organization. So keep on uh, um, uh, developing that that skill. Um, but now I'm, I'm also to start uh, contributing to the top line of, uh, of the PNL. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with that, just, we, just quickly uh, discover for those who don't know, discover is, uh, is another type of credit card, right? Oh, great point. Yes. Uh, uh, discover, uh, discover, uh, ha- we operate under the discover brand, um, issuing credit cards in the U S, uh, internationally, uh, we also, uh, payment network and we operate the diners club, uh, uh, oh, diners club. Yeah. Network. Yeah. I had one so, of those uh, cards. Diners club. Exactly. So, uh, you know, for uh, our listeners outside of the U.S., uh, you might be familiar with the uh, uh, with the Diners Club network. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you know, the Discover folks they did a really cool thing. Uh, you know, payment networks are not easy things to build. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, growing internationally, it's not an easy uh, thing to do. Um, but they identified that uh, they could become the network of networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the growth for uh, for the Discover Network internationally has been actually to connect networks across them, mm. uh, so that you know if if you're a, 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 a local payment network in China uh, and you have you know a, a percentage of your uh, credit card holders that travel internationally, now because of that deal, now the cards can be uh, uh, used anywhere that Discover uh, and Diners Club logo is. So very interesting strategy. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. And yeah, I mean, uh, uh, in, in this case, you know, a large organization, uh, uh, customers, the very customer oriented, uh, uh, you know, Discovery is a fantastic company, great leadership, um, but came back to, the, to a similar problem that I had in my previous job. I lead a large organization. I, you know, uh, it's 500 people. There's no way I can talk to all of them every day. You probably didn't uh, even know all of them. Um, you know, I, 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 I was very lucky that um, our company was very uh, uh, focused on uh, on the people, mm-hmm. so I welcome every single hiring class uh, uh, that we had, oh, wow. uh, and I had the luxury of uh, of having town halls with my team. So, you know, it, it took me a little while to meet all of them when I first joined, but after six months, I can tell you that I met everybody that, nice. uh, that worked in my, awesome. in, in my in my in my organization. Experience, life, face to face, you need to rely on data. Mm-hmm. Um, and our reporting capabilities were, you know, an Excel sheet with a couple of of, uh, uh, of groupings that you can open up. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that was it. Mm-hmm. So uh, after, you know, a couple of years of bugging my uh, my leader um, and him asking questions and me not being able to answer them, mm-hmm. uh, we agreed to invest in an analytics function. So I uh, built the uh, what we call the field analytics group, which was actually a team of uh, data scientists and analysts to being able to answer questions uh, uh, related to our operation, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and and this was you know a, 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 a very interesting journey. I'm sure that a lot of our data scientists go through uh, a very similar journey. The first question is, where is the data? I know that we generate reams of data every single day mm-hmm. across multiple of our operational systems, but where is that uh, data stored? And you know, I've, uh, I I hired my my first employee. And uh, he thought that he was going to be, you know, in Python, writing cool code from day one. And the first four months, it was a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, mm-hmm. uh, and, and actually trying to identify that. Uh, and then the second part was uh, identify what was our analytical environment. 
because um, you know large companies sometimes they have their own uh, uh, and in our case discover we were uh, married with uh, with SaaS, which mm-hmm. uh, provided a lot of great uh, uh, opportunities but it also had some uh, some limitations mm-hmm. so we needed to figure out what we could do you know within the SaaS environment um, and then it was not until the second year that we actually started doing cool stuff you know mm-hmm. um, so for for colleagues out there, uh, you know that that journey is is very natural. It's part of the cost of innovation. Uh, is that sometimes it's not all going to be you know uh, uh, twelve hour sprints in, in 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 building code. Sometimes it is reaching out to people and getting mm-hmm. their help to understand where the, uh, where things were. Um, and you know, I, I was uh, and this I uh, it was in one of these instances uh, that we're trying to you know solve a business problem that I need to beg and borrow time from our uh, center of excellence of analytics that I realized that I, you know, I needed to learn more stats uh, and data science. And I decided to go back to school uh-huh. and enrolled at uh, originally it was uh, the master in predictive analytics at Northwestern university. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then it has evolved into a master's in data science. Mm. Um, so I'm uh, uh, 65% in completing that, uh, that degree. Um, I had to put it on hold uh, uh, a little bit this year, uh, you know, with, uh, well, last year with changes in, in, in jobs and what have you. Uh, but, you know, that's where I got um, a lot of the, you know, technical skills. Um, and since then, you know, moved from Discover, went to CoreLogic to lead the uh, business risk uh, team for credit services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just four months ago, I joined uh, LMA to lead their product compliance and strategy uh, function. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on on the recent uh, move in your career, and thank you so much for this overview. It was it was really cool to follow along, and I think in every time you talked about a new um, role that you had in your career, every time I got a takeaway, and I think our listeners as well, we got an interesting takeaway from your experience. So that was a very cool overview. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Okay. So. We've uh, so you've gradually progressed uh, from doing analytics work and uh, you know starting to lead a team to then be, being executive and running uh, organizations and running teams of 250, 500 people. What would you say was like your main? How does it feel to progress in your career like that? When you look back on how you were starting out, what are the main differences between being a leader of an organization and specifically I'm talking about like in terms of data science. How do you view data science as a leader versus how you used to view it when you were a practitioner, mostly in data science? Right. You know, uh, uh, as a practitioner, um, it is really important to hone your technical skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that, you know, uh, uh, was probably, depending on, on, you know, new job and what have you, but it could be 22 30% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was easy to, you know, sometimes forget that you need to keep on doing it. Um, from a leadership perspective, uh, it is important to, now that time shifts, instead of honing in your own uh, 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 hard skills, um, it's also to know what is happening uh, uh, out there in the industry. That's why it was so important for me to go to uh, um, uh to our conference, the uh, as uh, data science go um, to find out, you know, what are people talking about? What is the latest and greatest? Um, and the truth of the matter is, it's not only about, you know, what is the next, you know, 
analytical software. Um, you know, when R uh, uh, now it gets replaced by Python, and you know, Python is going to be replaced by something else. We know it already. We just don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but most importantly, uh, uh, what what are the new applications of uh, of AI? Um, and uh, or how is machine learning uh, changing some uh, uh, some different businesses? Because you know, it's funny. My title doesn't say anything about data science, right? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I'm not a you know chief data science officer, but a lot of my job is precisely to find ways of making our products more efficient mm-hmm. uh, in managing our own operations in a more effective way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and data science helps in, in bridging those gaps. So, um, you know, in, in summary, uh, the way that I think about it, Carol, is going from uh, uh, needing to learn uh, and be an absolute expert in the technical to now have to know a broader sense. Even if you don't go as deep, I certainly need to know broader, uh, uh, not only how, you know, in my previous life, how do you apply uh, uh, machine learning algorithms in, in the credit space? Now I need to understand how AI is changing, you know, entire industries across the board uh, to see if there's anything out there that we can then apply to our own business problems. Mm, gotcha. And do you have any examples, like recent examples of something that in this broad approach to data science and what's going on in, in this world, uh, any examples where you learn something that has been or might be helpful for your organization? And of course, I don't want to ask you to disclose any trade secrets uh, or anything like that, but maybe any, something that was helpful for yourself. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I can tell you in uh, in early May, one of our value propositions is uh, uh, related to uh, compliance. The uh, real estate, uh, in particular, the mortgage space is heavily regulated in the United States. So there is a lot of regulation that uh, uh, that has been looked upon. So. Um, what we uh, what we are looking at is um, how is the so-called rec tech evolving in other spaces that are not related to mortgage, uh, and how we can apply it. Um, and that is, you know, uh, in the uh, in the certainly the uh, the early stages. Um, I can tell you back in in my role at uh, at Discover, um, what we were doing was uh, applying. Um, machine learning algorithms uh, as part of predictive modeling mm-hmm. um, to uh, being able to predict uh, multiple uh, um, steps in the consumer life cycle. You know, uh, um, the last project that I did, uh, we were a uh, marketing team. Uh, we had balance transfer is a, is a pretty big uh, uh, revenue growth um, in the credit card industry here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So we were working with them, uh, leveraging my team's technical expertise and their knowledge of marketing in how we could enhance uh, our uh, campaign models, leveraging uh, state-of-the-art machine learning algorithms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. That's... So, and being up to date with what's going on in the world helps enhance your knowledge and helps you like guide, guide you in the right direction in like, exploring new things, right? Whether, whether they're right or wrong. But you sometimes, of course, you fail when you explore new things, but eventually you find the right solution, things that can enhance the work that you do. Yep, absolutely. I mean, uh, in, in Data Science Go, for example, uh, it was in, in one of the, uh, of the sessions with, uh, with Gabriela oh, yeah. uh, from IBM. Yeah, yeah. Um, that it, you know, as she was talking, uh, we had a problem. You know, I cannot go into a lot of detail because of the nature of it uh, yeah. at CoreLogic, but it just hit me. 
that uh, we could do a similar approach to what she was talking about to solve some of my problems. So, you know, after the, the conference, get back to the office, talk to a few of our folks um, so that they can start exploring, uh, you know, those type of, uh, of solutions. So, um, and it was not exactly what she was talking about, yeah. but sometimes that's the way ideas flow, you know? Yeah. Uh, something connected the dots um, between what she was, uh, uh, you know, very kindly sharing with the rest of us and the problem that we had at work that it was like, oh, okay, this is something that, that we should approach this other way. So yeah, in, innovation comes from, you know, interesting places. That's so cool. That was, was that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where was her talk about like deep learning models on a napkin or something like that, like very, very quick deep learning models. Yep. It's, and, and she was particularly talking about uh, the ease of deployment mm-hmm. um, ah, that yeah. then when that, that struck. Uh, you know, she shows her GitHub and everything. That's so cool. That's awesome. Uh, have you? Did you manage to meet Gabriella at Disco? I I did. Yeah, yeah. We had a, a a few words. I had a chance to introduce myself, and and uh, and you know, we've been in touch since then. That's so cool. That's so cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's a really cool cool example. Um. Uh, so, like the way you know you you described your career, and now like there's so many questions that I was writing down as you were talking, and uh, like you just like open up this whole field for um, different interesting questions. So the, the next one I wanted to ask you was, um, so when, what would you say about data, like something you mentioned, and we, we saw this a couple of times, that throughout your career, you, I don't think even once you had the word data in your title. Nevertheless, you've always been working data with data very closely. Um, would you say that at this stage, any executive needs to be somewhat aware of data, the power of data science, artificial intelligence. And if that's the case, then how, like, what kind of tips would you have for them? Um, I think that they should, uh, Kirill, honestly, if they, if they don't, they're probably not going to be very effective at their jobs. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, for all of us that, uh, that lead, you know, uh, uh, teams uh, or lead organizations or have responsibilities, you know, on product lines and so on and so forth, um, you know, Number one, you, you, uh, I know that this may sound like obvious, but it's still not 100% of all the decisions in the corporate world are made with facts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, uh, I can tell you for the 20 years of my career, I have been you know, shocked as how many decisions are made actually without the data mm-hmm. based on you know, well-intended uh, uh, individuals that have tons of experience in, in that domain. Um, but, you know, as, as data scientists, we know that sometimes, you know, the data tells you counterintuitive fact mm-hmm. and that uh, decisions are typically over the long run better when you when when uh, you involve, you know, facts. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is out there is if you don't have a culture that is fact based uh, uh, decision making, that's the first thing that you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you do that, then you'll start realizing that that your data science infrastructure, it's probably lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, which then goes to the second point. It is even if, like you said, data scientist is not on your title, you're very quickly going to find out that um, you may need to hire one mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, has, that has data science in the title. Uh, unless, you know, you work at Google or some of these companies that, you know, data is in their, in their DNA, mm-hmm. then, you're, then you're kosher. But for the rest of us uh, uh, of uh, mortals out there, it's very likely that you're not going to have all of the data that is required to make those decisions and that you're going to have to go out and build it. 
Um, and that's when knowing about, you know, the, the, the basic tenets of uh, data infrastructure, knowing about statistics, you don't need to be, you know, uh, 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 developing new algorithms on your own, but you need to understand the basics of hypothesis testing. You need to understand, you know, uh, 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 certain, I don't want to call it basic statistic knowledge, um, but you need to be able to tell, you know, facts between noise. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that is, you know, uh, uh, the key distinction from what I've seen are extraordinary executives uh, throughout my career versus the ones that were just okay guys, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the way I see, like what you mentioned is when an executive, when you bring him some results, some facts, some findings, the first questions that I expect to hear is, is this statistically significant? You know, like, and, exactly. And rarely that happens. <laughs> like, like they, you know, obviously I, I go and do my checks or before I would go and check that this is, these are valid findings that people can rely on. But what if the data scientist doesn't do that? What if you, the insights you're looking at, they're saying one thing and they're based on numbers, but they're not statistically significant. Like you need to know those kind of things. That's, that's exactly right. For sure. And the other thing about data, what I, what I like, I think, I think this is, um, like, uh, a, a comes out of the things that you've mentioned about the importance of having data science on board, um, is that data allows you to know better what you don't know, right? Like, some, exactly. sometimes you think you know a lot of things and so on, but there's so many things that you don't know. And until you have a data science team or that culture of, uh, I love how you said it, fact based decision making culture, until you have that culture in place, you don't even know what you don't know. And that's like, that's the, the, I think that's one of the worst places to be. It's, it's better to not know, to know what you don't know, uh, than not, than be completely oblivious. to. Yep. I completely agree with you, Carol. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. That, that was some great insights. And, um, another question I had was in your roles, and we talked about this a bit, a bit about this before the podcast, you started off in the space in the world of B2C. So predominantly, um, as I understand it in Amex, you, you're like, you're dealing with, from a business standpoint, you're dealing with customers, so business to clients, business to customers, um, retail right. customers. And then with time, you moved more into, especially if you have your most recent roles at CoreLogic and LMA, uh, you're in the B2B space. How do you, so business to business, how do you find the differences? What, what are some of the core differences, um, involved in data science? between B2C and B2B? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's very interesting uh, position in that way, Carol. Um, in both B2B uh, uh, environments that we deal with, data is one of the most important assets. Uh, our customers look at LMA so that we can uh, help them, you know, complete all of the mortgage transactions, but also to manage data uh, from one step of the mortgage process to the next step. So what we do is we create data solutions. Mm -hmm. So, um, and in that perspective, it was very similar to the work that we did in, uh, in Amex. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that we used to do it just for one client, us. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, and now we create solutions uh, for an entire host of, uh, of customers across you know, multiple uh, uh, segments of the mortgage uh, origination market. Mm -hmm. um, the, <coughs> sorry. The, the big difference, though, that I see is uh, scalability mm -hmm. is a big, big difference. Um, I mean, Amex and, and Discover both have, you know, several million 
of uh, uh, of customers. Uh, so they're not a you know a small company by any stretch of the imagination. But if you compare that versus <clears throat> we at at LMA, we service about forty percent of every single mortgage that happens in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's a one point three trillion dollar industry. Wow. So um, even and even at its busiest day, uh, you know the the strain that we would put uh, um, our infrastructure in Amex, you know, wouldn't be compared to what we have at LMA. Mm. Um, so uh, uh, then, you know, uh, uh, the true technicalities on how we do things matters. Uh, we offer data services to our customers, um, uh, and uh, and the way that we build those data services. Um, the architecture of that matters because we could, you know, we could put production at risk, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and with that, you know, will come a host of, uh, of problems of reliability. Um, so certainly, uh, uh, scale matters, and uh, in in B two B, you know, obviously there are very very wide uh, uh, industries out there, but I will be surprised if even as short as five years. A lot of the uh, of the value that is being provided in B two B is related to uh, to data. I mean, think of uh, with uh, IoT in industrial. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, you know, revolutionizing mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the, in industrial engineering, uh, mm-hmm. both design and then servicing after the fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's a very deep thought. So, a lot of the value in business to business is going to be provided with IoT. And data, and yeah, I think you're right. Like it's becoming such a so it's so ubiquitous data, right? It's about just like adding it to your uh, value proposition, adding it to your offering, and showing businesses how they they can make that a and resource an asset that they can leverage and make it better. And wow, that's yeah, never thought of it that way. Very 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 cool. Um, okay. So we talked a bit about B2B versus B2C. Um, I was very inspired by your comment that you went back to school to do that master's of data science um, at Northwestern University. For somebody who's already done all of their education and even an MBA and is already in an executive position, that's a massive, like a massive decision. It requires a lot of like courage and, you know, like, uh, where do you find the time? How do you how do you even consider going back to school? Like, how did you make that decision? And maybe what would you, what kind of inspiration can you share with other executives or, or other um, people who've been in the workforce for some time and who are considering to uh, continue like learning, whether it is through a university, whether it's online, whether it's in other ways, but what kind of like impulse can you share with them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it it was not an easy decision, and uh, you know, I'm lucky that I have a, a, a fantastic uh, wife, uh, extremely supportive. Um, I have to tell you that you know, when we started talking about it, um, she was like, "Again, we're going to go through this again." <laughs> Wasn't the MBA hard already? Um, and we did that before we had kids. Um, but you know, it it was a a conscious decision, and um, and it came from that knowledge of what you don't know. You know, I, I uh, discover was always very, very supportive with my development. And um, and uh, the MIT, they have uh, in the summer uh, these like uh, uh, crash courses. Um, and I did one in a discipline called uh, Design of Experiments, DOE. Mm-hmm. 
Um, which, interestingly enough, it was something very different than what I thought it was, <laughs> mm-hmm. but but very very useful. And um, and throughout that week, I came to realize that uh, even though you know my uh, undergrad and and my uh, MBA. Uh, they, they they are, you know, analytical in nature and all of the years that I spent working risk management, but there were areas of, uh, of statistics that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I've realized that uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, uh, and I started looking for ways of trying to cover for that knowledge gap. Um, and it quickly uh, uh, was obvious to me that if I kept on trying to do that through, uh, you know, smaller courses, like this type of, uh, of engagements, um, it was going to take me forever. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't know even how to structure it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what, you know, uh, um, schools do. They, they know how to build, you know, knowledge trees and so on and so forth. So I started looking for, uh, for options and, um, you know, the, uh, schools in Utah, uh, which is where I used to live before, didn't have anything that was close to, uh, uh, to what I needed. So I started to look at uh, distance learning uh, options and Northwestern University has, uh, you know, a fantastic program. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, you know, a deeply technical, uh, but it's not only a technical program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, after uh, a lot of discussion with, uh, you know, my leader at the time uh, and, uh, and with my wife, uh, you know, we, uh, we all agreed that um, it was, uh, uh, you know, a passion of mine, um, mm-hmm. but then that this would uh, uh, pay off in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's how we decided to go into this again. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic. So um, basically, uh, the, the main kind of uh, piece of insight I get from that is that when you feel there's something that you don't know, it's not, you shouldn't avoid that. You should dive into it and discover what it is that you don't know and find ways to fill that gap, close it and actually augment your knowledge because that's, you know, that enlightenment will take you to the next level as an executive or as a professional. Does that sound all right? Yep, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I used, uh, uh, you know, a, a simple rule when, when I look at, at education in general because uh, you you get knowledge, um, you also get um, network, and you also get um, the curricular value. And depending on the choice that you take, um, you know you may it may not be equal across these three different areas. Um, you know, if you decide to go on your own on uh, uh, mocks, for example. You might get the knowledge. Um, you may get an access to a network, um, but you certainly, uh, uh, you know, the the value of a formal network like you have in in uh, uh, super data science uh, or you know the, the the ones that you do through school alumni and that type of stuff. It's not the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are instances where the title matters right if uh if, if you have an undergrad degree um and and you haven't completed it well getting that undergrad degree is going to make a big difference in your uh in your curriculum mm-hmm. um so depending on on what stage of your career you are uh both your professional and academic uh career um there might be different options uh available but you know the decisions that i've made on uh, on education uh, i put it through 
this lens and make sure that I'm, uh, you know, very uh, uh, objective and honest what I'm trying to achieve um, and then try to find what is the best opportunity to do that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Luis. We'll leave it at that. This brings us to uh, the end of our podcast. I thank you so much for coming on the show. It's, it's been a huge pleasure. Before I let you go, can you please share with us what are some of the best ways for listeners to get in touch, contact you, follow your career, um, maybe possibly ask you some questions if they need some guidance? Absolutely. I mean, the, uh, the best way is through LinkedIn. Go in, Luis Blanco, uh, working at LMA. Send me an invite. Um, I'll accept it and, and we can continue our conversation through that means. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Luis. And of course, we'll share the URL as well and in the show notes. And I have one final question for you. And uh, I'm a bit, uh, I'm a bit shy because I know what you're going to say. But nevertheless, uh, what is a book that you can recommend to our listeners to further their careers? Absolutely. And I know that you that you thought that I was kidding, but but I'm not. Um, you know, I was lucky to get a copy of your book, uh, Confident Data Skills, uh, uh, during the conference, and um, and I went through it. Uh, and like I, you know, like like uh, you and I talked about it. Um, I loved the the uh, the approach that you took to uh, to data science. I mean, being in in grad school, I have you know hundreds of thousands of very technical books uh, sitting here right next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's face it, for the most part, they're very dry. Um, and uh, But it has technical content that you need to understand. Uh, you've achieved the very difficult objective of having a document, uh, you know, a book that has technical insight. So you finish that book and you know how to do stuff, which is, you know, very important. This is not preaching just the importance of data science and how cool it is and all of those stuff, which is a plenty out there. Uh, but this gives you specific skills on how to do particular things. But in a way that you, you know, you end up reading the book and it's like, oh, you know what? It's not that bad. It's not that hard. It's, uh, it's, it's actually fun to do. You did a really, really good job there. Thank you. Thank so, you. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, Confident Data Skills by Kirill Aramenko. It's published <laughs> by Kogan Page. Thank you so much, Luis. Uh, I'm flattered and very honored to hear that coming from you. And um, yeah, was, as we chatted before the podcast, I was, I was very surprised and excited that you actually had read the book so thanks again for sharing sharing that on that absolutely and thank you for you know for listeners for uh for their time uh i hope that uh they find this uh useful in any way shape or form and thank you carol for uh for inviting me fantastic thank you so there you have it ladies and gentlemen what a podcast so many insights i was personally glued to this audio and to my screen as I was walking through Luis's LinkedIn with him and I learned a ton personally. And out of all the insights, which were all amazing, I have a few favorite ones, uh, probably three favorite ones that I've identified for myself. First of all, you what Luis said about planning your career based on the skills you need to develop rather than the jobs that you want to have. Um, then working cross-departmental work, how departments should work together and create shared models or at least models that are not contradicting each other. For instance, that example, the risk management and marketing department working together. And finally, the fact-based decision-making culture, which is such a, such a powerful notion. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. As usual, you can get all of the resources mentioned in today's 
episode in the show notes, which are at www.superdayascience.com slash 245. That's superdayascience.com slash 245. Make sure to connect with Luis on LinkedIn. This is a great person to have in your network. And of course, if you're interested in learning more about Data Science Go or Data Science Go X for executives, which I highly recommend, we're taking 40 executives on this year. So if you want to be part of that community, if you want to be part of that executive experience and make those valuable connections and network with other execs interested in data science and learn from each other and grow your executive network, then head on over to datasciencego.com and check us out there. You'll find a specific application button for Data Science Go X. That's www.datasciencego.com. And by the way, if you know any executives, if you're not an executive yourself and you know some executives that might be interested, maybe your boss or maybe a friend of yours, a colleague, a family member, send them this episode and let them get these insights as well all these wonderful, valuable insights that Luis shared today. And on that note, thank you so much for being here today. And I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.